down the main road, down the highway. He gets up to 55 miles an hour where all of a sudden he hears a noise. He looks back to where baby Michael should be and his car seat's not there. It's then that he realizes that his baby is on the highway and had fallen off the top of the, fallen off the top of the car. Now just breathe for a minute. Baby Michael was fine. Um, I'm sure that the car seat company got a, a big plug for that, but he was fine. But our question today is when he fell into oncoming traffic, onto oncoming traffic, where were the other people? Why did nobody stop and warn him? Stop, slow down, get off the path. There's danger ahead. There was no one there to ultimately warn him to save this child's life. And today, Tammy and I want to equip you to recognize the signs of sex trafficking. And more importantly, be the one bold enough to say, stop, slow down, get off this path. There's danger ahead and ultimately save a child's life. Today at camp, we've been talked to by already two teens where it's happened to them or they've witnessed um, a sign of sex trafficking and they did nothing. One said she was at Victoria's Secret and she had seen um, a really young girl with an older man trying on lingerie and she thought, you know, I never really thought about it till after I left. I just thought it was weird that her father would be in there. That wasn't her father. What could she have done, we'll tell you. But that, I don't know, the next person to ever see that girl who could have saved her life. Tammy and I had attended a mother-daughter conference last spring with our girls and during that time, there was a breakout session, and our girls were learning about how they were fearfully and wonderfully made. We were learning about parenting, and one of the speakers spoke about global sex trafficking. And it was there that we realized this, this is happening, and afterwards, we had discovered more information about domestic sex trafficking. So I thought it would be an important topic to have a forum on. And I approached one of the forum committee members and asked if they can vote on it, and it was voted, I believe, unanimously that... Um, that it would be a forum topic for this year. And so I told Tammy, it looks like you and Matt are coming to camp. So I was thankful for that. <laughs> They're here um, to also be part of Eastern Camp, but she has a real passion about it too. So together we um, studied for a long time. And I'm not going to lie, it's an uncomfortable topic. I've had to leave her house before and just say I'm done before we were complete. Um, there's been nights where I want to share something with Mike and I can't because I don't want it in his brain right before we go to bed either. Um, there was a topic, a book that Tammy was reading and just couldn't finish. So we're not scholars on the situation at, at any means, but we have done a lot of work and training up to this moment just to be able to equip you to, to know and become just as knowledgeable. So now let's learn about what sex trafficking is, how to recognize it, and what to do about it. Okay. Um, much of the information that we'll be sharing with you today we obtained from Shared Hope International. And we also obtained information from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Um, I've always been most familiar with that organization because of the pictures that they have up at Walmart of the missing children, and they have them online. Um, we also obtained information from Exodus Cry. I was sitting at a baseball game with my husband, and a woman had a T-shirt on, and it said, um, Exodus Cry, Begin the Prayer Movement, Abolish Slavery. And I thought, oh, I wonder if that's about sex trafficking. I went home, and it was. We also obtained information from the Ohio Department of Education and through interviews. And I'm sorry, Canadians, but most of the information about stats and laws is in regards to the United States. But last night I did add a little part for you Canadians on our Take Action site. Although when we did do research, it's still happening in Canada just as much. We just don't know as many of the stats. Right. So the warning signs will be the same. And like Jen said, sex trafficking is a very offensive topic, um, especially when we read and we heard about various victims' accounts. 
we've left out most of that graphic information for you today. And like she said, I thought I had a great idea about an audiobook, and I thought I would listen to it in between home health visits. I did it one day. I think this has four CDs. I didn't even make it through the first one. Um, kept me up at night thinking about the horrors that these girls go through. We also decided to leave out much of the terminology that's used when talking about sex trafficking. So our intent today is not to offend any of you here, but rather just to increase your knowledge and understanding about the topic. So um, how is it defined? What is sex trafficking? It's when a person is induced to perform a sex act in exchange for value of something to themselves or their trafficker. And it's not necessarily money. It could be just for food or shelter. And most people believe that traffickers resort to physical force. I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> force and violence to uh, manipulate their victim. But our sources said that that's only a fraction of the methods that are used and that they rely um, mainly on their ability to psychologically manipulate the girls. And they may see um, violence towards another girl, and that was, you know, her lesson, so they know that that threat is always there, it's always possible. In the United States, the government says that anyone under the age of 18 involved in the commercial sex industry is considered a victim because they don't have the emotional and psychological development to make that decision. So because of that, the U.S. government doesn't require the proof of force, fraud, or coercion when minors are involved. However, if they are tried, in a, tried as an adult, those um, factors are needed in the court of law. Now, each one of our own states has their own provisions and laws as well. And um, Shared Hope paired up with the American Center for Law and Justice, and they graded each state on six different um, provisions. And then this is their overall grade. The darker your state, it's just like a report card, A, B, C, D, F. The darker your state, that's like F, the worst. And the lighter colored your state, the better. So they took all those six grades and combined them. But you can go to their site and look at each one of the six different things. And they looked at the criminalization of domestic minor sex trafficking, the provisions addressing demand, the buyers, the provisions for the traffickers, provisions for the child victims, provisions for the facilitators, those that aren't necessarily trafficking but know what's going on and aren't doing anything about it, maybe receiving a kickback, and then also the criminal tools for investigating and prosecuting. And there are different types of sex trafficking. Like Jen said, we're going to be focusing on the domestic minor sex trafficking today. And keep in mind that one out of five girls will be sexually victimized by the time she reaches adulthood, and one out of ten boys will be sexually victimized by the time he reaches adulthood. So why talk about sex trafficking at Eastern Camp? Just throw out some numbers here if you want to take a guess. It won't, probably won't um, be recorded here, probably won't pick you up. So it's okay if you're not right. How many children do you think this affects every year in our country? Not everybody all at once. I think I heard it in the back there. Um, thank you, Angela. 100,000, yes, that's right. Um, okay, the next one. What do you think the average age is to be first um, involved in sex trafficking? The teens got this one right. 
11, 12 to 14, so the average is 13, is, is what it is, your first time, yeah. Um, what state do you think is most profited from sex trafficking? Nope. 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 Ohio. Let me give you some stats on why, and I heard it um, be said. Toledo is the capital. Toledo, Ohio is a capital. Um, I grew up only an hour from there, but it is the capital. So anybody going to college, the reason they say Bowling Green in that area is a party state is not because these girls literally all want to be parties, but some going to parties, but they're victims, a lot of them, and this is what's happening. Um, in Ohio, it's a day's drive for most metropolitan cities, which means it's very easy for traffickers to be moving their victims quickly. So when these girls are gone, they're gone most of the time. It's very hard to get out. Um, we have the most, and I say we, Tammy and I are both from Ohio, um, we have the most truck stops in the nation and the fifth most strip clubs in the nation. Also, Ohio's unemployment and poverty rates um, are very high, and that doesn't have much to do with the, vict with the traffickers, but rather the victims. So girls who possibly um, just think they can have a better life um, will listen to the lies told by, by these men or women who are trying to get them involved. And Ohio also has many, many adult bookstores, um, adult stores, as well as hotels that are right off of the highway. Um, and we want to keep keep that in mind, the hotel part, because we'll talk about that later. What percentage of sex trafficked children do you think come from an abusive home? Ten? Seventy. Seventy, which um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say here, probably not coming from an abusive home, but that's still 30%. That's a high number. That's three out of ten who are coming from very normal, normal homes. Um, the, the most frightening number that we've come across is that 90% of the children who run away will be approached for recruitment in the first 48 hours. I'm going to say that again. I ran away once for about two hours, hid in my dad's pickup truck because I thought, I'm going to run away. You know, we asked the teenage girls, whoever ran away, you know, just I went to the train tracks one time thinking, oh, I, I hope, you know, now they'll learn a lesson. I was 13. I was gone for, you know, an hour or something like that. 48 hours, 90% of kids who run away, and I'm not talking run away forever from home. This is running away, being upset, going to their parents' house, um, just showing at a park on their own that they're upset with their parents or whatever attitude they are. 90% will be approached in the first 48 hours by someone. Now, this isn't saying they all will succumb to it and say, you know, agree to go with them, um, but they will be approached. So we've already talked, like I said, to the teens, and I want to just share a story. We said that we wouldn't say any names, but it, it would be jaw-dropping if you knew the city and who it was. But she came to us later and told us that when she was at, we did ask if we can share her story. She was at the DMV in her local um, city, and there was a lined rope, kind of like at the bank, and someone came on the other side and said, do you have a name? And she said, yes. And he said, may I know it? And she said, no. Praise God, right? And so then he said, where do you go to school? And she didn't answer. And he said, do you have a job? And she said, no. And he said to her, how would you like to make 50000 And I'm telling you, there's a word like that that triggers these girls, and they just go to a car to find out more, and you never see them again. And by God's grace, she was smart enough, and she said that her parents told her, her mom told her never to give her information out because they can look it up or whatever, you know, not, not sex trafficking. But while we were there then, she's like, was that, you know, that was somebody trying to recruit me? And I said, absolutely, that was someone trying to recruit you. In Mansfield, we have a safety town program where we send our kindergartner kids and we say, you know, stranger danger. 
It's still going on, and we don't tell our teens, and they're on their cell phones, and that's a way that we were telling them. We showed a picture of a handgun and a picture of a cell phone, and I asked the girls, how many of you have a handgun, you know, a loaded handgun with you right now? Go ahead. We won't, we won't be upset if you say yes. And they laughed a little bit. Then I showed a cell phone. All of them at least have some access, even if they don't own it. And I said, now, how many of you would use this without safety training? And, and I know for my own kids, they're offered this technology all the time when they're not in our home. And we try to teach them because this is a, a huge reason of how they're starting, um, that the traffickers are doing this. So what we want to tell you again as citizens, as parents, as grandparents, as Christians, that you would be able to tell our youth to stop, slow down, get off the path, and ultimately to save their life. It's a battle that we're all raging, that, that's, that we're all fighting together, and we need your help. And I think this would be appropriate time to um, tell you another incident that we ran into talking about Toledo and talking about Ohio. My husband um, overheard a dad telling another group of men um, that he was a partner in owning a strip club in Toledo, Ohio, and that's about two and a half hours away from where we live in Butler, Ohio. And... um, This man I know has two girls and then two boys that are about um, seven years old. They're twins. And they happen to go to the school that Mike teaches at. So I had to text Jen, of course, and ask her if uh, she knew them. And And the answer is, actually, that was Kennedy's really good friend and Jax's really good friend in school. And Kennedy had gone to a birthday party. And I think they're believers. We invited them to VBS, and she said they're going to their own. So, yeah, great, safe family. Why? What what information do you have on them? And I'm not sure if I mentioned, but he was telling the group of men that it brings in thirty to $40,000 in one weekend. Um, okay, so how widespread is human trafficking? It's actually the second largest criminal industry in the world after drug dealing, and it's the fastest growing. Why? One reason is that women and children are reusable. You use drugs, you have to get a new supply. Another reason is that um, currently the consequences and the risk for people that traffic humans is actually less than it is for people who traffic drugs. And that's something that we all need to really strongly work to change. Um, human trafficking in the U.S. is a $9.8 billion industry. The Center for Missing and Exploited Children says that between 100 and 300,000 children are human products meeting the demand of the sex industry. And like Jen said, it's happening all over. And we also learned um, that the Walmart that we both go to right off of 71 on Possum Run is supposedly, you do see trucks parking there, is supposedly a place where they uh, transfer girls from vehicles. The demand in America's fascination with pornography and sex is so high. The prostitution um, that is happening now is also linked to it. The product are the victims, which we've spoken of already. The buyers, we call them Johns. They come from all ages, occupations, ethnicities, um, and usually somebody reports that the average is that somebody would be about 21 the first time that they um, have purchased some type of sex. Um, they are they are regular people. 
they are fueling the commercial sex act, possibly with not even realizing that it's infiltrating in the sex sex industry act. It's just helping it over and over. So a John, I mean, there may be Johns out there listening, you know, who just, it's anybody who's purchasing sex. Um, and maybe this would be, other than the sin that it's linked to, maybe this would be another awareness to, to you know, have people stop doing that. Um, the sellers or traffickers, they're called pimp. They commonly, they'll sell a girl for $400 an hour or more. They're the ones um, who are profiting profiting by money um, through selling these minors. And again, we're talking minors. We're not talking adults making their own decisions. There are two different types of pimp. There's a gorilla pimp. He's the one that you typically think of in the movies with the fur coat and the gold chain, the black man who's real scary and controlling. They don't always look like that, but that is their, they control more on force. So the girls or, or boys are just fearful of them. You would never cross this man, neither would the boy, you know, the men who work under him. The other one is the Romeo one, and this is the one that I don't think parents get, and I know the girls didn't get until we shared some more stories. These are the good-looking 25-year-old, 19-year-old guys. They're in college. They um, look like they're doing everything right, and they are the ones that through psychological manipulation by love and affection and clothes and compliments and I love yous to these girls... They're the ones that, after a time, it's not right away. It, it's a long time, so there could be girls in a relationship who are in a relationship with a pimp, and you don't know. You think it's your daughter's boyfriend, but how well do you know him? Because it's not a fast thing. These Romeo pimps take a while to gain their trust. And actually, I think I forgot to mention that sex trafficking co- comes in different forms. Prostitution, pornography, pornography, stripping, and then other sex acts. So the Johns... Um, are even those that are buying the pornography. We're not going to um, continue with that. But um, So that was Brianna's story. You can see how she was tricked into sex trafficking without realizing that she was being shopped. Um, now there's a somebody we want to tell you of named um, Bree Piper. She's from Terra Santa, California, the San Diego area, 16-year-old, 10th grader. She attended youth group, was a babysitter. Her mom's name is Heather. Um, this is my, my girlfriend's babysitter, very close to her family. She trusted Brianna with her four kids. Um, and her mom, in fact, started a um, huge prayer chain for Maddox two years ago that was unbelievable, where they had about 500 people at their church um, praying for him constantly. So they're definitely a family of faith. Um, by a show of hands, does anybody remember this prayer request going out? A few do. I did get some emails from people saying, did she run away? Um, well, I, I actually didn't know. Ange wasn't specific after she said that Brianna was found. The, the, the story just hadn't come out yet, and that was for legal reasons. But um, Brianna wanted to spend the night at her friend's house. And this friend she had been friends with since they were very little, but they had a rule in their house, no sleeping over friends' homes. Her mom didn't want to make her upset, so she tried to convince her dad. And her dad said, no, I just don't have peace about it. I don't think she should be sleeping over someone's house. I know she's 16, but that's just a rule we have. So Heather was able to convince her husband and say, come on, just this one time, let's let's let her sleep over. So she did. And in that time, she um, was on a cell phone and she was on her friend's cell phone and saw a contact of some other person. And um, she was then connected just through texting like kids do all the time with, with a guy. So um, for 10 days, they texted back and forth very casually, and she was at school one time, 
and she said she was very nervous about an upcoming test she had after lunch. And so her friend that she had known for 10 days now just through texting and, and stuff, maybe they had met, I don't remember, um, said, let me take you out for lunch and clear your mind of everything. And so she said that would be great. So she walked out of school, and he didn't take her to lunch. He took her across the street from the school to a hotel where she was um, drugged for three days and she was gang raped repeatedly. So she had not known what was happening. She trusted him. Um, so Brianna was missing for a total of eight days. She did try to leave twice, and she was threatened at gunpoint. She was not able to get away. Um, and finally, after eight days, these men left the hotel. Um, at this point, she's not drugged. She knows what's happening, and a woman comes in to save her. She says, I know what's happening to you. I'm going to get you out of here. Come in my car. Let me help you. So Brianna was thanking the Lord and just praying, thank you, Jesus, for bringing somebody to get me out of this. But what she didn't know was she was also another pimp. Brianna had just been sold again because, again, once you get out, you're free money to these people. Once your girls are in it, it is hard to get out. So um, what had happened then was at the hotel that she had dropped her off at, she was with a, a bunch of older Muslim men, and somebody working at the hotel had recognized that this was not right for a 16-year-old white girl to be with these Muslim men. It was not the person at the front desk. It was um, her, her mom, Heather, thought it was maybe someone custodian or, or something like that. So she called the cops, and they were able to get her. She was found in um, Thousand Oaks, California, which is three hours away, and Heather just said a praise to, I mean, Tammy and I did an interview with her, and afterwards we were supposed to keep working on this, and I just looked at Tammy and said, I have to go home. Um, but we, we did a phone interview and asked if we can record her, her testimony. And she said, I'm so thankful God heard my prayers. And we thought, what are you talking about? She said, if they would have crossed that border, I would have never seen her again. Once you go into Mexico, that's it. So they chose to take her up, I guess, or wherever Thousand Oaks is. But, um, in all of this, then she was found. And the reason they didn't say anything was because there was a sting operation. If anybody knows of Amber Alert, um, the mother who formed Amber Alert, knew um, of Heather, and she started a search and rescue for her, um, which that day that they formed the search and rescue, Brianna was found. Um, however, they did a sting operation where she was miked and bugged, went back to school, formed a relationship with this man again through text. It took quite a while um, to, to form this relationship so that he in turn could try again to get her and the cops could get him. Now, her parents were watching from school. They had a ton of armed men out there. But they did, um, they did get him. He served 10 years in prison with, he's serving 10 years of prison with absolutely no parole. Um, and Tammy had asked the question if any other girls, if Brianna ran into any other girls, and she said there were about six that she could recall when her mind was functioning. But, um, they said they were able to help a few, but a few of them were just too, too sad to, to come forward and testify because they didn't know what would happen from their pimp. Um, what would happen. So she said another reason is because through youth group, she didn't want her her to have a reputation from youth group friends that this had happened. So they didn't share the story until just recently. Um, just to let you know, the person was a Romeo-type person. He was a 22-year-old man, an upstanding citizen. He was a coach. He attended university, and he was the um, leader for a young boys and girls group. So he was not somebody that you know, you would really be too fearful of. Um, one thing that Heather said to us is she mentioned that it'd be safer to have a loaded handgun in your house as a teenager than an unsupervised internet. 
And that's why we showed that comparison to the girls. And she said, you can, you might recover from a, a handgun wound, you might die. But she said, you never recover from this. Brianna's still in therapy. And she says, I know that God will work great, great things for Brianna. I know he's not done with her, but it's so hard to see her struggling. Um, and then we asked her, you know, what would you say? And, and to this group, she said specifically, she quoted, she quoted Ephesians 5.22 and she says, wives submit to your husbands. And she said, you know, he didn't feel at peace about it, but because I kept saying, I don't want her to be mad, let's give her this. She said, ultimately, if she would have just submitted to her husband and listened to the feeling he had that he wasn't ready for her to be going, spending the night at someone's house, um, she said that God created our men to be in control of our household. And even if they're not a believer, that we should still be submitting and respecting their authority. Okay, most victims come through the system at some point, but they're usually misidentified or mislabeled, unidentified. Uh, they're manipulated by their pimps, of course, to lie about their age and their identification. They're provided um, fake IDs to carry. My um, husband happened to talk to a detective in our local community, and he had been to a seminar in Detroit, and they had mentioned how girls were transported between the Canadian and U.S. border at his seminar. Of course, they're taught to deny their victimization, deny their age, and cover for their pimp. Um, and of course, some girls have had law enforcement officers and politicians come and say, you know, I know, I know what's going on. Do you want out of this? Only to turn around and use them. So they don't know who to trust either. And they don't know if they're being set up, if their pimp is setting them up to test them to see if they're going to be loyal. They sometimes don't recognize the manipulation that they're involved in and they start believing that they're willing participants and that they chose to be in prostitution. So the shame, guilt, and or loyalty um, is all part of the trafficker's plan to manipulate them. As a result of this, many youth are charged with prostitution-related offenses or other masking offenses such as theft, truancy, drugs, runaway, and if law enforcement doesn't uncover their true age, they can be tried as adults. So they have uh, sometimes a negative emotional response to police, probation officers, uh, mental health workers, teachers, and that leaves m many professionals believing that they're truly delinquents and not victims. So without proper training, first responders and juvenile justice employees don't recognize that behavior as a defense mechanism, just covering up what they're truly going through. From 1998 to 2001, I worked in our local uh, adult and adolescent mental health units, and I often wonder um, what I missed because I don't feel like I had the proper training. If you work in a situation or you want more training, um, Shared Hope International and other organizations can come do um, first responder training for you. Another um, barrier is that our society has common ideologies that um, sometimes we assume that anyone involved in the commercial sex industry has chosen to do it, that they're not a victim. But we have to remember that we see what they want us to see because they have a quota to meet or else. And sometimes we view females in a derogatory light, you know, as promiscuous, sluts, bad kids making bad choices. But we have to remember that this perspective makes it very hard 
to find compassion for them. And um, it also makes it less likely for them to receive services and assistance that they need. And also society assumes that females are typically the ones, um, but it does also happen to boys, so we can't overlook that. So real quickly, you saw Jen already hit on some of the um, things to look for, and so did the video. But during the recruitment and grooming phase, these are some things that you want to look for. Changes in behavior. The youth might start skipping school, not returning home in order to spend more time with the pimp. They might sneak out after hours, lie about where they've been, or just refuse to tell you where they've been. They might start dressing less appropriately than before. And they might have a different attitude, desire more independence, and seem to have more secrets. They could show signs of physical abuse while they're still uh, living at home. They might seem withdrawn, depressed, distracted. Not all pimps use the Romeo approach that Jen talked about. So during the recruitment, they might blackmail. In the video that you didn't see, they blackmailed Lacey. They uh, videotaped her getting gang raped, and they threatened to show her youth group. So she wouldn't have felt like she fit in with her youth group, and she didn't want to be with her pimp either. Look for changes in lifestyle also. Um, you know, they might, they try to shower them with gifts and show their financial status. So look for change in nicer clothes. They might start getting their hair and nails done professionally, nicer shoes, accessories. The girl might talk about having more money or at least having access to more money. And they may be um, tattooed, sometimes with a name, a symbol, a barcode, and that's to show ownership and loyalty. So that may be something that you can keep an eye out for. And usually they're not branded until they've been prostituted, but it could still happen while they're at home. And also look for changes in peers. Youth typically don't make drastic changes in their peer circles. Um, a pimp could be a teen. They're typically um, older than their victim, but it could be a teen. And there's actually a book on Amazon that someone could buy to teach them how to be a pimp, how to manipulate and gain control over a girl. 59% uh, of prostitutes are first approached by another female. Teens are sometimes first approached by another teen, and kids first approached by another kid. So this new circle of friends, they will institute themselves as a new family and encourage the girl to spend less time with her friends and her family. She may so show signs of drug and alcohol abuse, too. And then also gangs. Gangs are starting to recruit females for um, selling them for sex. The girl is normally flattered that the gang is recruiting her. This offers her um, instant resources, social status, and um, protection. But little does she know what they're going to use her for. So look for um, preference for clothing, certain colors, um, carrying weapons, notebook graffiti. And to tell you the truth, I don't know if I would know what gang graffiti looked like. Um, and then Jen will show you what it looks like after recruitment and, and grooming. Even though you'll be able to read all these, I'm going to say it just for the sake of the CD. What does a victim look like after recruitment and grooming? They look younger than they claim, have signs of branding and tattoos, have life stories that are inconsistent, are fearful or have an anxious demeanor, have little knowledge of their community, 
They don't have control of their ID or their schedule. They show signs of physical abuse, engage in scripted communication, have hotel keys, and they may have a nickname. Most of you probably stayed in a hotel once, twice in your life. Um, I want you to paint a picture here. You're in the hotel with um, elevator with your spouse, your friend, your child. Let's say a 15-year-old comes into the elevator. She's dressed very promiscuously, doesn't have a purse. She shows no eye contact. Maybe there's a tattoo or so. She's shaking. Before this forum, I would have told Mike, <clears throat> excuse me, after this girl got off the, the um, elevator, there's no way that if Aubrey ever dressed like that, she would ever be coming home. I cannot believe that teens, some adults, dress like this, and, I, and what it does to our men, what it does to our, our boys. I have a nine-year-old boy, and when, when you're dressing like that, it's just, it, it's messing with their mind. And it's the first, even though you think you're clothed, you know, it's messing with their mind, and, it, and it's really helping them to paint that picture of the first pornography that they're going to see. They say that boys... First time that they see pornography at the average age, nine. So anyway, I'd be very upset. <laughs> so now after training for this, I would pray that what I would do, talk to her quickly before she gets off. Ask her what floor she's on. Ask her, are you going on a vacation? Who are you with? How old are you? What's your name? Literally like that because you know she's probably prepped not to talk to people. If she's not talking to me, follow her into her room, to her room, not into her room. Um, try to get a glance. Mike, Mike, check the right side, left side. Which room? Which room? Third, third on the right? Okay, after she goes in. Listen. One thing that Heather told us, Bree's mom, we said, why wouldn't the hotel owners do anything? And she said, oh, you guys don't get it. A lot of the hotels are in on the sex trafficking because they get a cut from it. Taxi drivers in on it because they get a cut from it. What's happening now? Pimps are starting to own hotels because they get all of the, the profit from it. There, we can't leave it up to the, the clerk. One thing I told Heather was, well, maybe we can start some movement of there has to be some kind of um, teaching to all, you know, everybody who's registering you at your hotel. And she said, it, it doesn't matter. It, it's, it's so widespread now that we have to be the one. If that person who was the janitorial person would never have seen Brianna with those Muslim men, who knows if someone at the next place would have, you know, would have found her. So we have to remember that we need to say, just like Evan, um, Bri Brianna's, um, the video we showed you, you know, who are those people? Why are you with them? Where are their jobs? Be annoying. Offend them. Get, get them angry, but ask those questions. Um, we can't look the other way. We have to say, stop, slow down, get off the beaten path. There's danger ahead. Um, there was somebody in, in Mansfield, a mother of three or so, she claimed that had a sign up. I don't know if anybody here saw it. We were on our way to church on Wednesday. Tammy and I had just planned the night before. We see her in the Guyer's parking lot holding up the sign, I need money. And we kept driving. And I said, oh, Mike, I have this sick feeling that we kept driving. But not wanting to be any later than we normally are to church, we, we kept going. So the next Wednesday, she's there again, and we just kept going. The kids are in the car. What do you say? Well, finally, a few of the kids were at Grandma's. We went out to Ontario, uh, still a very small town, and she's at the, at the uh, Circle K there with the sign. And I asked his permission first, and I said, would you be okay if I spoke with her? He said yes, so he placed our car kind of more out of reach, and I went up to her and I said, I don't know if you're bugged right now, I don't know if you're working with anybody, I don't know what your story is, your sign could be true, where do you come from? I asked her all these questions, and I told Tammy it was scripted. She came from Canton, which is an hour and a half away, it cost her $6 to get here and back. It would have cost way more than, I, I didn't believe any of her answers. I asked where her car was, I just... 
random questions to say. And I said, do you need help? And I explained sex trafficking. And she goes, oh, honey, I am not a prostitute. I would never sell my body. And I said, I, okay, that's great to hear. But I, I said, you know, I want you to know that there's a plan out. There's help if, if, or if you know anybody, you know. And then I said, and if you're not involved in sex trafficking, you've got a few hours before someone comes to this street corner in Ontario, Ohio, and starts questioning you and asking you, well, how much do you want to make? And I said, it's a scary thing. And, and so to me, um, you know, Mike had texted me and, and asked, you know, do you want me to get her money? You know, and, and I just, I didn't feel that was, that was right. I just did not feel comfortable with it. And I do feel that was spirit led. And I prayed with her and she assured me she knew God and, and loved Jesus too. But, um, that was something that I felt that peace finally talking to her and saying there's help out there and giving her some information. Cause sometimes she can't tell, she can't tell you she's in trouble, but, um, so anyway, I, we also want to tell you of another instance where in our ACC church, there has been an instant that changed a life forever. Um, we are, we have interviewed the family there, but we also are not letting any names, um, out, but the family did give me permission. I'm going to call this girl Kate. And Kate was a girl who attended the ACC church and she's working at a fast food restaurant, minding her own business. When someone came up to her counter and was shopping for her, not for his meal. And that's something we just want to get the awareness out there, you guys, that people are shopping our girls. So it doesn't matter who your girl is, right? So he asked her how much she made at her job. She answered or, you know, whatever. And he kind of the same thing with Brianna. He just threw some numbers out there that were amazing. And I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about magazine sales. And it's, again, another facet of human trafficking where that money goes back into there for the sex trafficking purposes. So she said, this is great. This is a bus tour. Going to go over to this city, and I'm going to go over to this city and sell magazines. And she was part of it. They said, why don't you just give us our cell phones? Your parents, they don't really need to know what's going on. And really, we want you focused in training for how to sell these magazines. I now know I would much rather open my door to a Jehovah's Witness than someone selling magazines. I will never purchase one. However, what would we do? I would pray right away that your first thing is calling 1-800-THE-LOST or call it, talking to them, right? Getting them engaged, seeing how long you can talk to them. But anyway, she got in, involved with it, thinking it was a great opportunity, and one of her siblings realized what had happened once they tracked her somehow. Um, she was able to get off of it, but it was her sibling who saved her life and said, stop, get off the beaten path, there's danger ahead. Um, there are more, there's more information that we know of this story that we're not sharing, but please know her life has changed forever. And um, it, it wasn't from going to a strip club or from, you know, anything scary like that. All right, so take action. These are just a few of the things that you can do. There are many, many things that you can do out there. Um, one is if you suspect trafficking or even recruitment or grooming, call 1-800-THE-LOST here in the United States. In Canada, they said they didn't really have a number. They said that's designated specifically for that. They said call the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Um, in the U.S., you can not only call 1-800-THE-LOST, but you can go to the cybertipline.org, and in Canada, you can go to the cyber cybertip.ca. But it looked like that was primarily just for online uh, sex trafficking-related things. Uh, keep our children safe online. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children started something called NetSmarts workshops, and they have age-appropriate. They have uh, some for parents and guardians. They have some for law enforcement. They have some for educators, kids, tweens, and teens. So you can go to the appropriate one uh, for you. 
And I encourage the teen girls to have their parents do it with them. So hopefully they'll ask you about it. Make an iPod uh, contract. And Jen has an example of one that she had and that she did with her daughter Aubrey. Contact your congressional representatives. And one of the easiest ways to do that is go to sharedhope.org or exoduscry.com. Uh, sign up for their newsletters, and they'll send you an email when legislature is coming up in your area so that you can um, let your congressperson know. Host an awareness meeting on sex trafficking in your town. Shared Hope has a great video and information that you could use you know, in your home, in your school, wherever it may be. Also, there's a documentary from Exodus Cry called Nefarious, Merchant of Souls. And in Ohio, there's another one coming out called Shadows in the Heartland. And then there are many different uh, recovery programs. One is Rahab's Hideaway or Terry's House. Um, those are some of the examples. And if you want more information or you have questions or whatever, you can contact Jen or I. And you will be getting a handout of this Take Action slide. Do you want to make that full screen? And then um, just what we want to leave you with, all of this stuff, the iPad agreement, it's, it's in the MP3, if you were to get that, or we can always email it to you. It's great for teens. There's Bible verses throughout. It's kind of like the Ten Commandments, but there's 12 of them. Um, you have them sign it, and, and this will be there. Also, we're going to be leaving you with some Bible verses. Those are on the MP3, as well as some prayers that we thought. Sometimes we don't even know how to pray. And these prayers are detailed, and they're attached, they're formulated for um, specific things and what we want to do can you get up Tammy the verses what we want to do is just a prayer of Sunday through Saturday all together there's going to be brothers reading these prayers for us but they will be heartfelt as they're reading them and just let's close our eyes together if you do want to look up um, we have Bible verses with each day and men if you want to just say the name so I'm not going back and forth during the prayer say your date so, thanks. This is Sunday. Today is the day of prayer for the victims of human trafficking. We pray for the safety of those who are trapped in the bonds of slavery. We pray that God would be near to them in their suffering and bring them comfort and provision. We pray that God would hear their cries and liberate them from the hands of their oppressors. We pray that God would set them on a path toward restoration and healing. Monday. Today is a day of prayer for the efforts to raise awareness and to reach out to and protect victims of human trafficking. Pray for those who tirelessly give to fight this injustice. Pray for their strength, for their health, for their families. Pray for the successes of their endeavors and for the provision of resources needed to accomplish their work. Pray for God to raise up more men and women who are passionate about the cause. Tuesday. Today is a day of prayer for those who are tempted to exploit others for their own sexual gratification. Pray for the Johns that are hurting others and hurting themselves. Pray that God would change their hearts, pierce their consciences, and bring about deep repentance. Pray that the darkness of their hearts and their actions might be brought into the light, that their shameful deeds done in secret might be exposed so that more victims are not harmed. Wednesday. Today is a day of prayer for our community. We pray for our nation, state, and local leaders that God would strengthen their resolve to lead with moral character and a commitment to justice. 
We pray that they would stand decisively against the crime of human trafficking and sexual exploitation of children. We pray that we as a society would have the moral conviction and the political will to see policies changed and laws enacted to protect the victims of modern-day slavery. We pray that our churches would be the salt and light in the world, working timelessly for the weak as we bear witness to the gospel of Christ. Thursday, today is a day of prayer for the, for the rich children, those who find themselves surrounded by brokenness through no fault of their own, and who are therefore the ones who face the greatest potential for victimization. We pray for the children in poverty in our community. We pray for those who are abused. We pray for those who are in need of responsible, loving caregivers. We pray for the children who are contemplating running away. We pray for those organizations that work with those young people and pray that the church would develop a great heart of compassion for those vulnerable ones and who need our help and our hope. Uh, Friday. Today is a day of prayer for those who enslave and who exploit others from their own profits. We pray that they would be brought to justice. We pray that their efforts to abuse and manipulate for their own gain would be thwarted by circumstances, by concerned citizens, or by law enforcement. We pray that God would cause them to recognize the wickedness of their actions and to turn from them. We pray for the grace of God to transform the hearts even of those who have been guilty of such wretched sins. Saturday. Today is the day of prayer for our own personal commitment to this cause and the people affected by it. We pray that we may learn more, feel more, and do more in response to the tragedy of human trafficking. We pray that God might keep us from the apathy or from turning away because of the enormity of the problem. We pray that He would have us to know how we might give of our time, our talent, and our treasure to help. We pray that He might use our contribution, however great or small, to protect, defend, restore, and empower the victims of human trafficking.